Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Rachel Woody, and I'm here with Scott Henry III at Henry Estate and Winery, and we're here on June 7th. And my first question for you, Scott, is why wine? A long story. <laughs> uh, I was raised here on the farm, and I knew that uh, one of the things I didn't want to do was farming because I worked too hard, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty good in school and math, and so. Um, I decided to uh, go to college and as I looked at colleges and where to go, um, I was always good in math and uh, this kind of thing, so I thought, well, maybe we'd, we'd uh, look at engineering at, at Oregon State University. So I went up to the school and I really didn't know that I wanted to do engineering at that time. And, but they had orientation classes. I, you know, I suppose they still have them. And so the students would come, and the deans of all the schools would get up and tell our students um, what that school was all about. And I really thought I'd probably go into agriculture, you know. And I still remember this dean of engineering, <laughs> Dean Gleason. I'll never forget him. He stood up in front of the the whole group, and there was. A huge amount of students there and he says I want 20 of the students in this front row to stand up so you know 20 stands up he says I want 18 to sit down so there's two left right he says those are the two <laughs> that are going to graduate from the School of Engineering I mean <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm sitting there thinking, well, that crusty old guy, you know, <laughs> that was a challenge, you know. So um, I really didn't have all the engineering background that I should have had. And, but I, anyway, I went into the School of Engineering, did my pre-exams, and of course I was lacking in some of the math and so forth. So I even had to go into pre-engineering, mm -hmm. which the chance of passing that was like nil, and, but I made it. and. Um, and went through and finally did uh, four years of engineering and then I took a graduate course. Well then I started looking around and I said well obviously the farm game wasn't what I was really educated to do so I started interviewing companies uh, but that was right in the race to the moon was just beginning to, to oh. go. We were in a race with the Russians you know and the Russians already had a satellite in orbit, and um, and we were. I thought, well, that sounds really interesting, you know. And so uh, I interviewed a number of companies. This company in California, in Sacramento, Aerojet General, was in the rocket engine business, and they were bidding on some of the engines for the space shuttle and all that kind of stuff. So very, very enamoring to me, and. So I interviewed and got a job there. So I worked 14 years at Aerojet. Wow. Well, in the course of doing that, I had some fellow engineers working with me. 
And one of them, name of Gino Saponi, was an Italian and was raised in, in uh, the Napa Valley. And his family had been associated with the wine industry, of course, there and that kind of thing. And so it came to a point where Gino, my friend, decided, well, he and another guy, another engineer, were going to break away from Aerojet and start a winery in the Napa Valley. And so I said, well, geez, that's kind of interesting. Let me, what are you guys doing, you know? So I went over and I started helping them and I started working with them and learning about wine and uh, then I took some courses in winemaking and the more I looked into it, the, the more I thought it was really kind of fascinating, you know. And I said, well, why can't we do this back home, you know. So, so I came back and I told my dad, who was, I said, uh, I'm going to look at the possibility of, of raising grapes here and if that looks really good, maybe build a winery. I didn't know what he would say. He would say, yeah, your name. But he was all for it. And so, so we went ahead and we started planting grapes. And one thing led to another, and here we are. And the rest is history. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so when you came back up here to plant grapes and do the wine thing, who else was on the scene at that time? Oh, there weren't many. Um, let's see, I'm, I'm Bonded Winery. Um, 22, so in the history of wine in Oregon, there were only 21 before. So some of them, few of them were before Prohibition mm -hmm. because the way they keep track, they keep track from day one forward. So, and so there weren't many. There were a few pioneers in the industry uh, ahead of me, only a few years, a couple of years maybe. Mm -hmm. And so that gave me an opportunity though to talk with them. So I, I chatted with them, and Richard Summers over here at Hillcrest was the first to fire up after Prohibition. And um, that's why we're kind of, we keep saying we're the cradle of the Oregon wine industry. And people are finally beginning to dawn on them that we are here, you know, it started here. And, um, and so Richard was, was around, and uh, I had some nice, interesting conversations with Richard. <laughs> Quite a character, <laughs> Richard is. <laughs> Too bad you didn't get a chance to interview him. Mm -hmm. But um, and, but he was a pioneer. He you know he took a chance. He he came from California, so same same way. And um, so I got to talking with him. He was on a different uh, type of ground and everything. Mm -hmm. So I was worried about down here because. This is river bottom ground and, and, and pretty rich soil here, and deep soils, and, and I was, um, everywhere I went and talked with people, even in the Napa Valley, uh, they were said, well, rich ground gives you some problems because the grapes want to grow a lot. You know, you get a lot of foliage. But then I was looking, I looked at the Napa Valley, well, there's a lot of vineyards down on the bottom there, you know, I mean, yeah, they're on the hillside, but they're on the flats too, so, so I got to talking with people that were growing grapes there and how, what they were doing and and I thought I thought I'd give it a shot you know and uh, being but it being an engineer I had some thoughts about what I would uh, do to make sure you know we would be successful and so I put in uh, the first planting was about six acres of grapes and I did it in such a way that every sort of variation 
that I could think of, I incorporated into about four or five rows of grapes. And what that eventually allowed me to do is to make wine from those four or five rows and compare that with another four or five rows. Right. And so when I got all done, I had a lot of wines that we would set down and then just simply blind taste and, and do that kind of thing and, uh, and see which was the better one, you know? And so when we did that, certain things begin to fall out of that, of that. Uh, yeah. So you were comparing four to five rows of grapes with another four right, to five right. rows of grapes. And, and the interesting thing was then, uh, so I finally found what really was working the best for me. Mm -hmm. And, and of course I had looked at the books of growing grapes and do all that kind of thing. And the more I looked into it, and I was trying to look and see, you know, where this method I came up with was, you know, and I, I couldn't find it. <laughs> it wasn't in the books. And I go, well, that's, that's kind of strange because I, I figured I'm kind of late to the game and it had all been, I'm, I'm just catching up with everybody else, you know. <laughs> But in, but in, uh, we had a cool climate symposium in 19, uh, that was in 19, let's see, when was it? 1962, I guess it was. We had a cool climate symposium that we put together because I was involved with a, a wine group here and we, we had a symposium we put together in Eugene, Oregon. And we had like experts from all over the world came in to talk about growing grapes, making wine. Mm -hmm. oh, it, was, it was a great conference, you know. And so I'm up there at the conference and you know, I'm listening to all the papers and, and uh, and uh, we had the we had the people from France, we had Germany, we had uh, Australia, we had New Zealand, you, you name it, we had them. You know, it was wonderful. It was a great great seminar. Anyway, we're getting near the end of it, and and I hadn't seen. <laughs> so I'm going well. Maybe did I miss something? They didn't say. So I went up to the guy. Uh, the guy from New Zealand was doing was. Similar, but not not what I was doing. Mm. And his name was Richard Smart, Doctor Smart, and and I walked up to him and said, "Well, I'm Scott Henry here. I'm an hour south down here, growing grapes, and I'm pretty rich ground. And so we've been working with that, and and um, and I've developed a system that seems to work really well for me. We're making really great wines, and and um, I I didn't see it here, you know. He said, "Well, what are you doing?" So I kind of explained my trussing technique, and this kind of thing, and, and um, this kind of funny look came over. He says, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen it. I said, well, we're one hour south. If you want to come down and take a look-see, and uh, he said, I'd love to. And so he came down, he had uh, the guy from Germany was with him, and I think one of the Frenchmen was with him. And I had it on this uh, vineyard here at that time. So we walked out there, I showed him what I was doing and everything, and he turned around to me and he said, he says, I'll be damned. <laughs> I'll be damned. He says, I've never, he says, do you mind if I go back to uh, New Zealand and run trials on it at the university? Because that's, he was from there. And I said, I don't care. I said, just, um, you know, send me the data. I'd like to see your information. And he did, he sent me the data. So two or three years, you know, to develop the grapes in the way and to get the data. And, 
and everything like that. And it was about the same, you know. It was, and he says, you know, he says, we're converting. He says, I'm, I hate to tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of acres are being <laughs> converted to, to your system. And um, he says, we're going to have another of these cool climate symposiums next year. And it's going to be down there. He says, would you, would you be interested in coming down and giving a paper on it? And I'm going, oh, New Zealand. Okay, I'd always like, <laughs> I always like to go there, but God, there's a long ways. And um, I said, and I started him and on. I said, oh man, that's. He said, well, this might help. He says, um, my wife was alive then. He says, we'll pay for your, your trip down and back. And uh, you need to spend about two weeks here. And in addition, we'll we'll uh, give you a $200 a day per diem. Oh. I said, well, let's see, let me think about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the done deal. <laughs> so, I, so I went down there and, uh, and uh, had a great time and walked out into their trials and yep, there it was. In all its glory, it's got Henry Trello's system. Right. And the interesting, the kind of interesting uh, part of the story was I started looking and there it was, you know, and it... Um, The name on the trial at the end of the rows was, um, well, he had a name, Smart Henry System. Mm. Mm. You know, and uh, so, I, so in my presentation at the conference, which is in front of, I don't know, we had thousands there, you know, I said, interesting evolution of this thing. You know, it started out as a Scott Henry, and then they were talking about Henry, uh, some version of Henry, like Henry Smart. And then when I got down here, I went to the trials and on the end of the row, it says Smart Henry. I said, well, I guess I'm doomed for extinction. <laughs> <laughs> and the place, of course, they all knew him. <laughs> Just the whole place was in an uproar, you know. So the, after that, my paper, we were still doing tours in the area and everything, and, and we, we'd go out and where the sign used to say, Smart Henry, it was all scratched out. It said Scott Henry Trellis System. <laughs> so the name prevailed. So okay. that's, yeah. So that's my, but the one thing that they, it does on this kind of ground where the grapes like to grow a lot, um, it does channel, it gets a balance between the fruit and the growth in the plant. And if you get that balance right, where you got the proper amount of growth to the, to the grapes in there, then the, the wines seem to be always the best there. So if you have too much growth, not too good. Too little growth, not good. You know, too little grapes, not good. Too much grape, not good. But you get that balance that's in there and just right, and it's, it makes great wine. So there's my shingle, Scott Henry trellis system. Trellis system, yeah. you're world famous for that. Yeah. yeah. I read it in all the books. Yeah. Could you tell us how that spread? I mean, obviously it was being used in New Zealand. Well, actually, that's that's kind of interesting because it went from here to New Zealand uh, in his trials, and of course that information started coming back here. And so as we had more and more conferences here in Oregon, and I got presented, and then more and more people began to use it, mm -hmm. uh, especially on 
areas where it's more rich ground. You know, you don't have to use it on hillside because hillsides tend to do the same thing. They limit the, the growth and everything just naturally because of the poor soils and mm. that kind of thing. So uh, it, it just got used more and more and more. And um, until it's where it is today, which is a lot of acres on Scott Henry Trellis system now. Yeah. yeah. I think I read in one of the books, almost every winery and vineyard in Oregon is on a Scott Henry system. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. especially on their more deep soils. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that it's been fun. It, it, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of people will come here to visit. I mean, I've had people from all over the world that come here, drop in to visit, see where it started. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm always happy to take them out and know grapes and show them what we're doing. Yeah, so it's it's been a lot of a lot of fun, and I think it's really helped the industry at the same time. At one time, we thought, oh, the guy says you ought to have you ought to patent it and have royalties and everything, you know. And I thought, well, I thought about that, and I go, you know, I think we're just all better off if everybody does a better job of raising grapes and making better wine. I think it helps everybody. It helps me too. And certainly, you know, the area here, the better that we make our wines, the better off we're all going to be. And we've had a few wineries fire up here and not do a very good job. It hurts everybody. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are doing great helps everybody. So the more we can do to work together, the better off we are. That definitely seems to be the prevailing spirit across all of Oregon. Mm -hmm. Could you speak to how you've seen the wine industry and the people evolve since you got into it? Well, yeah, we've come a long ways. Um, initially, you know, with Richard Summers and Hillcrest, I mean, being the first one. Um, and he, he brought his knowledge from California. He, he did some work down there and up here. and so. But it's been kind of interesting to see how it's evolved. It's been kind of a, I think of a, of a exponential curve in a way. I mean, it, it, started, it started out really slow and flat and this grew very slowly. Then uh, Willamette Valley kind of fired up. That brought a lot of interest because of the number of the wineries up there and the, what they were doing. Uh, but it's, but the Rogue and the Rogue fired up, Rogue region, you know, and, and uh, that, started firing up and, and and so we've seen what we've seen here in terms of at least in plantings and this kind of thing we've seen this curve beginning now it's now it's really starting to accelerate and when you see blocks of 300 500 acres going in the grapes here I mean that's that's sizable yeah <laughs> that's that's big and um, so somebody's got to drink a lot of wine. <laughs> what <do you> taste? <laughs> uh -huh. You know, I, I think there's room, there's potential. You know, it's it's um, it's a big world out there, and uh, people are beginning to drink more and more wine. When I first started, I think the average consumption of wine was only a couple of gallons per person. You know, and now we're up to four or five or six, mm -hmm. or somewhere in that area. Uh, Europe, and you and you go well, maybe that's the peak. A year, they drink 30 gallons per person. You know, we got a long ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we still got a society that likes to drink beer and whiskey and that kind of thing. And, you know, and they're drinking more and more wine, but there's still a lot of growth potential out there. So that's how we, 
we got going with the whole uh, scene. Um, I've really enjoyed working with the other people in the industry, you know, and I've been on the wine board for two terms, and um, in fact, I was on the first one. So, first, the Oregon Wine Board when it first fired up. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and was somewhat responsible for getting that to go. Because um, I was involved with the local industry here. And, I, and, we, and so we had a society here. We had a society in uh, Willamette Valley. And I thought, ah, you know, it's really, we ought to get together, you know, we're, really, it's Oregon. Once you start selling wine outside of Oregon, it's Oregon. It doesn't matter. I mean, they don't really care where oh, it's got Oregon on it. I said, we really need to get together and, um, and work together, you know. So we met, we met uh, at a little place on the freeway up in Salem, Oregon. And there was, I had uh, three or four of us from down here, and there was, like five or six from the Willamette Valley, and we, we got together and we hammered out the um, foundation for the Oregon Wine Growers Association. That's where it happened. Wow. And so then we, we uh, of course, it's grown dramatically since then, and, uh, and it's been a large part of the success of Oregon as, as far as the name Oregon going out and being recognized by the rest of the world, which is really, really important. Um, you know, it's always easy to sell your wine in your backyard, but you can only, you can only sell so much. And uh, as we started growing, we started looking out and uh, finding other areas that we could market the wine. And that's, marketing is, Tough job. I mean, that's yeah. the toughest at all. You know, I, I keep telling people, okay, raising the grapes—that's pretty tough. You got to know what you're doing, and then making the wine up maybe a little tougher. You got to, but selling the wine—oh my goodness, <laughs> that's really tough. And as there's more and more wineries coming online, you got more and more competition. There's so much shelf space out there, um, and so you've really got to work at selling. So uh, we could see right away that Oregon, we weren't going to sell enough wine here with what we were trying to do. Um, we couldn't sell it all here. We sell about 20% in the tasting room and another 20% in Oregon, uh, 30% sometimes. The other half has to go somewhere else. And so we've developed out, you know, other states. We're in about 12 other states and two or three foreign countries now. And But they all take a lot of work to to go, um, I said, I always take the Hawaii account. I said, I said that's mine. Well, Cindy goes, well, how come you always get the Hawaii? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. It just seems like they need extra help over there, you know? <laughs> so she says, and then you get Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I go, well, yeah, <laughs> they, they need help too, you know? I said, but you can have the East Coast, because I'm not too fond of the East Coast, too many people there. So uh, anyway, that's what we've done. And so everybody in this winery is involved with marketing. So everybody has their place. They're, they get all involved with uh, even local presentations of wine or sales. They all have their little areas that they sell wine to support the distributor. I feel that's really, really important. 
that a guy can get back in the back here. The, my winemaker can get lost in just making wine and forget about the person that's drinking the wine, you know? Mm -hmm. And he can get very easily uh, oriented to the wines that he likes. Well, that might not be the wines that we want to make. Because we need the consumer to like it. Right. And that's where you really got to, and to understand that, you need to be out in the market. And you need to visit with them and talk to your salespeople, talk to your people that are selling Costco people and so forth. And I mean, what, what do they want to see, you know? And that's important. So I try to get everybody out in the field one time or another. That's been one of the, related to a question we tried to ask everyone is, for Southern Oregon especially, it's, you know, Umpqua, land of 100 valleys. Mm -hmm. Is it land of 100 grapes? It, can Southern Oregon have a grape like Pinot Noir or should it try and just have one? What are your thoughts on that? No. Well, uh, yeah, the Umpqua Valley is a little bit of a dilemma until we kind of learn more and more about uh, the areas because we start, the, of course, the, the river, the Umpqua River, starts at Crater Lake and it empties into the ocean. And as you come down through the valleys and, and get closer and closer to the ocean, we get cooler and cooler until finally it's, you get, you know, you get close to the ocean, it's too cool. <laughs> you can't get the grapes to ripen. And so over the years, what's happened here is that, um, is that the growers, by growing grapes here and making wines and everything, we, we've determined, you know, what kind of climates everybody's got. I'm, I'm, I'm really cool here, very cool, because we're looking at where the river cuts through the coast range. So I get the coastal breezes every afternoon and they're fairly cool, you know, and and, um, and so when you start looking at the data, like degree days, and you can kind of begin to see where you're at in terms of the world of wine, we're, we're really on the cool side. By the time you get in past Roseburg, and south of Roseburg, it's very, very warm. And so now, you get, now you're getting into the warm climate grapes, which I can't even get, they don't work very well here. And so, so we have the whole regime. It's interesting in a way because we can produce great wines from all these different regions. The negative side is that we're not known particularly for a particular type of wine. It's like the Willamette Valley is pretty much zeroed in like on uh, Pinot Noir because it, that whole valley is about the same and it, it raises great Pinot Noir. Well, we do too here because we're cool. Like the, you know, if you look at our climatic data and compared to let's say Eugene and that area up in there, it's very similar. But as you get past Roseburg, it's, it's not. It's, it's, you know, they're more akin to Eastern Oregon and some of that stuff. So, um, but getting that story across is kind of hard. We've, um, you know, when you sell wine in other parts of the United States, they, they don't really, they, they, have, they can't understand that, how you can have both you know, a, a great Syrah and a great Pinot Noir from the same wine growing region. I mean, that's, you, you don't do that. Right, I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's tough, you know, they, they don't, uh, and it takes a lot of explanation and, and working with them. Yeah. And, uh, but that's been fun, you know, it's, it's been a good, it makes a good story, you know, that we can do, it's 100 Valleys of the Umpqua, and I told her, well, I said we can make a different wine in every valley. <laughs> You know, really. Yeah. So it's 
it's, it's kind of an inter interesting area to um, to do that in. And um, so we'll see. We got a lot of new plantings going in. You know, there's a lot, hundreds and hundreds of acres going in down here. Um, and I think it will be great yeah. as they come in and start making wine and doing that kind of thing. That it'll give us more and more of a name. I mean, there's significance to size. Yes. So the more volume that you have, the more gallons you can say, you know, that we're producing here, then the more people pay attention to you. Mm. But I think our mark has been made. I think uh, even in the foreign markets that I'm kind of associated with, they're, they're beginning to know not only Oregon, but Umpqua Valley is different than Willamette mm. Valley. You know, they're beginning to sift that thing out. And... Uh, and you can find their little sections. They're starting to show Umpqua Valley sections, you know. It's, it, you know, so that, that's fun. It's fun working with them. Where do you see the industry going? Oh, it's we're just getting going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I said. You know, you think, well, we've reached our peak. You know, you see all these vineyards going in and a lot of wine being produced and everything. And but when you throw that onto the market, the scene for the world, it's nothing. Right. You know, we're we're. We're still a very small part of what's being done, and, um, and I think there's a lot of room yet. I think the economy has kind of held us back a little bit. Um, otherwise, I think we'd be growing even faster. Mm -hmm. And I think once the economy turns around and we get that in uh, better shape, you're going to see a lot, of, lot more growth. Let's see if I can live long enough to see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you tell us how your children grew up with the vineyard and the winery and how they're involved now? Um, yes. They've all spent their tour of duty <laughs> out there. <laughs> they don't have any choice. Right. And uh, I got pictures of going way back where we were, we were watering grapes with a, with a tank on the back of a trailer and I had my two kids out. <laughs> water and, and another one was driving the the vehicle and you know it, it's kind of interesting it, it, the families growing up here there's some of them are um, took to the wine and the grapes and everything my son now is uh, he's firing up a winery on his own and doing that kind of thing so very involved um, one daughter is Cindy's in charge of the whole front end of the winery, the, the, you know, the office, and runs the tasting room and all that kind of stuff. So she's really, really committed. I have one other child, a daughter, uh, the youngest daughter, and uh, she was working here too, all the time. And um, then I had a guy that came through and I hired him to help me for a while. and. I said, time out here, <laughs> because they were talking about going and getting married and moving away, and I said, no, 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 not, that wasn't part of, <laughs> part of the deal here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's happened, and so she's moved up to uh, Portland area. In fact, I'm going up later on today to see her, one of, uh, one of her kids is graduating from high school, so, oh, okay. so I'm going to go up <laughs> and be there for it. But anyway, so 
most of the family's still involved with wine. Uh, Sherry's doing her own thing up in Portland now. But anyway, it's been a family project. And uh, it, on our, on our uh, material, we'll, we'll say, you know, it's family, it's a family operation, which it still is. So we're very proud of that. So who else should we be speaking to? Who Down else? here? Yeah. In terms of other wineries? Or? Just wine history in general. Ooh. Well. The ones that go back, see so you've talked to Jerday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them go back quite a ways. Um, trying to think who's alive yet. Uh, of course, you, you've got, well, all of them. All of them? <laughs> all, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all the ones that, I think you probably covered everybody. You got um, okay. Abacella. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a bunch of bunch are small, um, but, and some of them are just getting started. So I don't I don't know about them. Um, nothing comes to mind that. Okay. Well, if you know. think of anybody, you yeah, have I think my you've number. covered you've covered most everybody. So. Okay. Is there any questions that I haven't asked you that I should have, or any final thoughts oh you'd my. like to leave us with? I can't think of any offhand. <laughs> <laughs> if you Probably. had it to do it over again, would you still get into wine? Oh yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an interesting endeavor. It hasn't been easy. I can say that. Um, it's still not easy. You know, I mean, in this day and age, uh, it's um, it's difficult out there, especially with the economy. I think that's the main culprit right now. So, and I can't blame people. You know, what we do here is we make uh, several tiers of wine. Like in Pinot Noir, we actually make three tiers, different levels. Mm -hmm. What happens in, in times like this is that people um, don't have the money. They still want wine, so they'll trade down Instead of buying our top tier or middle tier, they'll come down to my lower tier. Well, then they, they drink that and they go, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe we'll just stay there. It's cheaper. It's good wine. So they don't, they don't elevate themselves up to uh, the more expensive ones, which is where we can make more money. We don't make a lot of money on the lower end stuff. But that's part of the game. You know, you think eventually, you know, they'll drink that and then if they have a special party or guest or something, they'll elevate themselves up to something better. And the economy would help mm -hmm. do that. So I think that's the main thing holding us back is just the grind of... Certain areas are doing, are doing well, you know, I've, I've had sales areas that have completely dropped off the map. And I've had some other areas that are doing quite well. You know, it's kind of funny. It just depends on where people have money. Right. If you get into areas where people are struggling, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that's great. But people that live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, they have money. <laughs> All you got to do is go there and 
look. Green blind, yeah. <laughs> I mean, huge homes, mansions everywhere. I mean, it's amazing, that place. And I've seen it grow over the years. It's just phenomenal. And they buy a lot of wine, and they, and they like the high price stuff, you know? They, I, I guess they're embarrassed to set a $10 bottle of wine on the table, you know? Embarrassed because it needs to be 30, 40. <laughs> So I, it's it's a different area. So every area, so you got to approach differently. Uh, I just got back from Wyoming. They have a big wine tasting event every year about this time, and uh, that's an important one to go to. But uh, you can see, you watch the people come through. That crowd is is a totally different crowd than you would find out here in Rosebery. Anyway, <laughs> it's just totally different and uh, a lot of money there mm. and so that's 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 good and the other thing that's happened is those places are really important for me because um they're tourist destinations and we really work hard on us like hawaii is really important jackson hole is really important uh, yellowstone's really important uh, crater lake is really important to us because of the people that come through and we get we get a lot of calls. It's just like you get a call and it goes, "Oh, I just had your wine at Crater Lake." But I but I I live in you know Louisiana. Or, is there some way I can get the wine? You know, I said, "Well, we have you know if we're close to a distributor there." So I said, "Yeah." Okay. Well, we and so we get a lot of business that way. It's just people floating through, visiting, touring, and uh, taste the wines and like them. I want to buy them back home. It's mm -hmm. good. So I said, well, if you can't find them, we can direct ship, you know, and um, it costs a little money for the shipping container, but it's not too bad, about a dollar a bottle or so. That's the price, and we can ship it right to your doorstep in most states. <laughs> Some states, they don't let us do that. Got to be a little bit careful. <laughs> yeah, can't do it in all states. And I'm not sure why that is. I think that'll eventually change the time. Most of those states, are that way. I think they're they're trying to protect their own wine industry, so they don't allow you to direct ship to the mm. customer in those states. But I, I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. So, and then some states are state controlled, and so you've got to deal with the state. You actually sell your wine to the state, and then the state allows the distributor to pick up wine. Everything goes through the state. Mm. So the bureaucracy, you know, you gotta, and Wyoming's one of those. Now I do really well in Wyoming, but you gotta, you, everything goes through the state. Wow. <laughs> and they take their cut, and so that elevates the price of the wine. Mm. But like I say, if you've got a clientele in that area that can afford it, uh, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Mm. But, uh, so you gotta work with that. We never run out of things to work with and do. And we're big into events. We've been doing a lot of tasting events. You know, it's every weekend we got crews going, doing tasting somewhere. Wow. And store, store tastings are important. And you can do a, you can do a fair amount of those in Oregon because we're close. As you get into other states, it's harder. So we try to do some like in, like in Wyoming, we'll try, we'll try to do two or three a year. 
whereas kick counts here would be we'll go tasting wine here every every month, you know. So right. yeah, that's a so sales is a game, and but you got to make sure you have a good product. We keep trying to do different things. You know, we have uh, our blush wine. There's not many people doing blush wine. We started that whole thing out, sort of blush wine. And uh, it's been a lot of a lot of fun working with those and uh, doing different things. We have a couple of wines that not many. Mueller-Turgau is, is a big wine for us. Uh, if you find two or three other Mueller-Turgaus in Oregon, you'd be lucky. So we started that whole game with Miller Trigger. Because I went uh, in Europe and tasted some of them back there. They really are really good. The, the trouble and the beauty of Miller Trigger, each grape is a little different. I said, well, why doesn't California make oodles of Miller Trigger? Well, it turns out that to get the real spicy, flavorful character in the Miller Trigger, you have to have a cool climate. If it's grown in a warm climate, it kind of makes a blah wine. It's not like nothing. But here we get that real aromatic uh, nose to it. Mm. And, uh, but it can only be done in cool climate. So, bingo, we got something, you know. <laughs> so we take advantage of, of what our growing area is. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a family operation from day one and um, will continue to be that way as long as I'm around. <laughs> Which I hope is a few more years. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Um, but uh, no, everything's going great. And really appreciate the support from uh, Oregon and Oregon State and all that work. I mean, it's all, it all adds and it all helps. And uh, we all need to work together. We need to make sure that we're all doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Good. I guess that's about it. Those are all my questions for you. Okay. So thank you so much. You bet. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.